dinosaur skeletons. I mean, we, you know, we like to talk about dinosaurs here on the show. It's great stuff. There was a skeleton that was found in Montana back in uh, 2015 uh, that recently went for a whole lot of money at auction. It's a 10-foot-long skeleton of the creature we know as Jurassic Park's Velociraptors, which I came to find um, isn't actually the name of the dinosaur. It's made up by the author of Jurassic Park, I think. But anyway, it's awesome. May 12th, it sold for more than $12 million to an anonymous buyer. And that is what has some people upset. Uh, This is going to be an interesting discussion. We're going to chat with Dr. Jessica M. Theodore, who is a professor of biological sciences at the University of Calgary. Doctor, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you joining us. No, thanks for asking. So, okay, first of all, help me understand this. The Velociraptor doesn't really exist outside of Jurassic Park. I mean, that's not really what the dinosaur was known as until the movie came along, or the book came along, right? So, it's a complicated um, thing. The book was based on uh, research that was done primarily on Deinonychus. That's true. Um, Velociraptor had a cooler-sounding name. And... Um, so they changed it for the movie. And so if you look at it, there is actually a genus called Velociraptor. Okay. But at the time the book was being written, there wasn't much known about it. Um, so it used that name. And so if you look at the at the size of the animal in the movie, um, it's actually way too big compared to Velociraptor, the yeah. size of, of the actual genus Velociraptor. Yeah, because this skeleton that we're talking about is like 10 feet long, right? Yeah, Deinonychus, and it's it's very well known um, in terms of of the amount of research that's been done on it. There was a huge amount of work done on it by um, a professor at Yale named John Ostrom, who did a ton of work on Deinonychus, among other people. Gotcha. Um, and so, a lot of the sort of dinosaur renaissance, the change in ideas about dinosaurs being much more active and more warm blooded, came from work on animals like Deinonychus. Um, and so that's why it was kind of exciting and why it got picked up in. Jurassic Park and then into the movie. Um, but yeah, they switched the name because it sounded cooler. It does. <laughs> <laughs> now, you're talking about the work that led to all these advancements in our understanding of dinosaurs, and this work is done primarily on fossils, correct? That's what yeah. sort of gives us the answers. Yeah, and we look at the specimens. And so part of the idea behind dinosaurs being more active, some of the evidence from that comes not from looking at the skeleton to look at the morphology, which you could do from a cast or a CT scan these days, but actually from cutting up the bones and looking at them under the microscope. Okay. And so the problem is that when the stuff gets sold, even if researchers can keep a cast or a CT scan, if something happens to that specimen, which has happened before, the Max Burke specimen of Archaeopteryx has been lost since the 90s, um, we can't check the work. We can't do it again. New techniques come up all the time, and if we can't look at the original material, we can't use them. So, for example, in recent years, we've been able to figure out the colors of dinosaur feathers, and the only way we can do that is by using scanning electron micrographs of the original material. Okay, so that was the question I had is like, at some point, haven't you exhausted all of the scientific information you can glean from one specimen and it's time to, you're done with it. But no, because there could be no, something that comes up next are year. really inventive. Yeah. And we keep coming up with new techniques. And if we can't try them against the original material, it's so just like yesterday or the day before a paper came out where they've done some new kind of spectroscopy um, looking at biomolecules in dinosaurs and arguing that they had high metabolism from that. If we don't have access to the original things, we can't use it. Gotcha. New techniques happen all the time. And so to keep 
being able to do the science, we need the actual specimens. And our so I'm the president of the Society of Vertebrate Paleontology, and that's kind of um, part of our your mission remit. Um, we, you know, that's uh, a group of almost 2,000 vertebrate paleontologists, grad students, interested amateurs, and and museum collections people. And the thing is that um, our argument isn't that we want all the fossils to ourselves, but if a fossil's in a living room, it's not on display to you, right? Yeah. To the public. We can't learn anything new from it. It's benefiting exactly one person, right? Absolutely. And so Alberta has some of the, the strictest legislation in the world, actually, regarding collecting fossils for sale. You can't do it. Yeah, like if you find a fossil, you must report it, correct? Yeah, um, and the way the Alberta legislation works is if it's found to be scientifically significant, it needs to go to the museum. If it isn't, um, it can stay with you. You don't own it, though. You're holding it in trust for the people of Alberta. So if later on it turns out to be scientifically significant, it could end up being used and you're 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 basically allowed to keep it as a placeholder for everybody in Alberta. And that that legislation came to be because if you look at the early 1900s there was a lot of work going on in, in the Canadian dinosaur gold rush where Americans were coming up here and collecting our dinosaurs and taking them back to the states. If you go to the American Museum of Natural History in New York, almost all the Lake Cretaceous dinosaurs on display came from here. Really? Yep. Huh. So, with is there obviously you're talking about Alberta has some of the strongest legislation. So obviously it's not something that has any sort of international agreements, right? I mean, this is not something where everybody has recognized this. So is there, you know, is there poaching? Is there a black market in this? There is a huge black market, and um, in fact, some people have gotten caught in that. So um, there are a number of countries that restrict the export of fossils from the country. You can't do it without permission from the government. Mongolia is one of those. And so a number of years ago now, Nicolas Cage bought a specimen of Tarbosaurus, which is a tyrannosaur, um, that was clearly from Mongolia and illegally exported. And the U.S. ended up, it ended up in court, and he ended up having to return the specimen to Mongolia. Um, There are, the U.S. has very different legislation than other places. So the U.S. has legislation that covers collecting fossils on federal land. And there is quite a lot of federal land in the United States. But if you find it on private land, fair game. It can be sold. Um, And the problem is that since the suitcase in the 80s, um, or early 90s rather, I can totally explain that if um, that doesn't make sense, because not everybody's That's aware of what Rex. happened with Sue, Sue. right? Um, yeah, Sue the T-Rex at the Field Museum now. Okay. Sue was originally found in the United States, um, and the collector thought that it was on private land and had paid the landowner, who he thought was the landowner, for to, to be able to remove the skeleton. It turned out it wasn't actually on private land. It was on leased land, and it was actually leased tribal land. And that, is, that whole case ended up in the U.S. court system. And the courts eventually found in the favor of the landowner, and it was sold at auction to his benefit, or huh. the land leaseholder. In reality, a lot of us feel that case was probably not correctly decided, and the specimen should have gone to the Smithsonian. Yeah. Um, but in any case, the Field Museum managed to convince Disney and McDonald's to help cough up the money to buy Sue and put it on display and prepare it. <laughs> um, and that was an $8 million sale. 
Wow. And that kicked off a huge run on sale of dinosaurs. And the prices just keep skyrocketing. Yeah, like 12 I mean, million for the one last week. 12 million, 12.4 million. And that specimen didn't even have a real head. That specimen had a cast for the head. Um, but there aren't that many Deinonychus complete skeletons. Um, and the before that, Stan, uh, which is a T-Rex at the Black Hills Institute, was sold for 30-something million, 38 million, what? I think. Yeah, it was purchased. It turned. It was purchased anonymously, and we didn't know who had it. It turns out it was purchased for a new museum in Abu Dhabi. But you know, we don't. That museum hasn't been built yet. Right, we have yeah, no idea yeah. what kind of policies it's going to have and everything else. Um, so there was huge speculation about that one, and that one was a court-ordered sale because it was actually. It's a long saga, but uh, the Black Hills Institute that owned it was founded by a pair of brothers, and one brother decided he wanted out of the he business. He wanted out. Um, Jessica, unfortunately, I'm out of time. We could talk for hours, I'm sure. <laughs> we're going to have to do this again, though, but I appreciate getting started this way, and I promise we'll have you back on again and have more discussions about this. It's fascinating. It really is. I'm always happy to talk about it. Excellent. Thank you so much, Jessica. No problem. Take care. That's Dr. Jessica M. Theodore, who's a professor of biological sciences at the University of Calgary, telling us about this, I guess it's sort of a struggle between private collectors and scientists saying, you know, where, where should fossils end up? Should they be furniture or should they be something that the whole world can enjoy? For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone. And for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.